Welcome along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain, behavioral and organizational sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. As always, make sure to follow us on Twitter, at brain for biz and LinkedIn, or else we look forward to your feedback and comments by email to laurie at brainforbusiness.ie. I am delighted to be speaking today to Professor Joseph Allen. Joseph A. Allen is a professor of industrial and organizational psychology at the University of Utah. Before he completed his doctorate in organizational science at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte in 2010, he received his master's in organizational psychology at the University of North Carolina in 2008 and his Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from the Brigham Young University in 2005. Professor Allen's research focuses on three major areas of inquiry, including the study of workplace meetings, organizational community engagement, and occupational safety and health and he directs a Center for Meeting Effectiveness housed in the Rocky Mountain Center for Occupational and Environmental Health. Professor Allen's latest book, Suddenly Hybrid, Managing the Modern Meeting, authored with Karen M. Reed, was published in 2022 by Wiley. Joe, welcome to Brain for Business. Great, thanks for having me and thank you for that introduction. It's very kind of you. Well, we are delighted to have you with us and we're really keen to, uh, to really, I guess, get under the skin of of meetings because you know we've all lived through the pandemic and its various challenges but in simple terms what happened to meetings during the course of the pandemic well it's it's interesting uh, that you asked that question because in uh, March of 2020 the first week of March rather uh, is when I actually first had my uh, first met and interacted with uh, Karen Reed we were invited by a mutual client to do a a webinar and the webinar was all about the future of meetings and the argument you know what we were thinking is and what we were arguing was that video would be at its core and we said that you know in the next five years people are going to start using more virtual meetings they're going to need more they're going to need better you know video and audio capabilities all this sort of thing right literally three weeks later everything we said the first week of march happened we went from 80 percent of our meetings being face to face to like 10% of our meetings being face-to-face, -face, right? And we went from you know, maybe 5% of our meetings being virtual or you know on on camera or 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 audio only that sort of thing to being you know 60 to 70% of our meetings being in that in that world. And so it's just massive shift for everyone. And that that's probably what what was the biggest uh, eye-opening experience uh, for for everybody when it came to meetings uh, during the pandemic. Well, if we take that then, what, what does the evidence after, I guess, roughly two years of the pandemic actually say? Are online meetings more or perhaps less effective than face-to-face -face meetings? Yeah, so interesting, you know, that's, that's one of the fun things about uh, uh, science is that, you know, we start dabbling in things and then it just happens to be convenient. So, uh, for example, in, in October of 2019, I, for whatever reason, decided to survey a thousand people on their virtual meeting experiences. So this is before the pandemic. And so I had this sample and I was like, oh, this is neat. So then in, in May, I went back to those same thousand people and said, hey, 
tell me about it now, now that all of your meetings are now in this space. <laughs> and so I was able to compare those two data, those two time points on a variety of different things. Basically, what we learned is that face-to-face -face meetings and virtual meetings are pretty close to the same in terms of productivity if you follow the best practices. But we also learned that teleconference was terrible. Like audio only is just just abysmal. And so the closer you can get to simulating a face-to-face -face meeting, the better. The more that you can look people in the eye, the more that you can uh, see their mannerisms in addition to hearing their voice is so essential that virtual meetings with video on are dramatically better than virtual meetings with just audio. Uh, and, and that's true for satisfaction, for effectiveness, for participation, for voice, for all of these different things that we measured uh, on those two time points. So it was it was kind of funny to to be to be able to go back to the same people who told me about their virtual meetings before the pandemic and find out more about them, you know, during the pandemic as well. And so, if, if I understood you correctly, you took it in you. Know, delivered the survey in 2019 and then again in uh, May 2020. Have you thought about taking that same survey again in 2022? <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> in 2021, in June, when everyone thought, oh, it's over. This is before Delta and Omicron. Uh, and, and we started to have those back-to-office conversations, right? This was, you know, we were all kind of hopeful at that point that for whatever reason, the summer and the and the lull we were having in the in the 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 uh, pandemic would result in us being able to kind of get back to some bit of interacting in person. And so we, we so I went back to those same thousand people and said, "Hey, what's what's going on now?" And that is the data that is presented in the book Suddenly Hybrid, uh, which you mentioned earlier. And so we actually have that data as well. And so that's that's all about hybrid meetings. So we that the survey was tweaked a little bit to make sure we asked enough questions about hybrid meeting experiences, right? Because again, in, in March of 2020, you know, early March, we weren't really talking a lot about hybrid meetings as being a thing. And now it's all about hybrid meetings and hybrid work and making sure people can collaborate in a meaningful way, regardless of where they are, even if that's, if they're in the office. And so we did do that again, and we found that basically that hybrid meetings have the potential to be really, really good. And this is not what I expected. What I expected to find is that hybrid was going to be hard. And hybrid is going to be, it was going to be hard because now you've got multiple communication modalities represented in the same interaction. And that's really complicated for people to manage. But to my surprise, the early adopters of hybrid were, good, were doing it right. And they're doing it right because they were doing the best practices for effective meetings, and they were doing them in a hybrid environment. And the the the, the results suggest that hybrid has the, is the most inclusive form of meeting because people can meet from everywhere, and they can be good. It's funny you you mention that because uh, I was speaking to a client company that I, I do some work with not so long back. And they talked about what they felt might be an emerging model when their people are back in the office. And and what this was, was a case of some people maybe working remotely, dialing into a meeting. Some people maybe sitting at their desks, dialing into a meeting. And yet, just down the corridor in the meeting room, you would have other people who would be there in person. And, and the idea was that yeah. you might have perhaps this... Um, I guess this sort of hierarchy. So the people yep. who are actually in the room, they're the ones, they're the decision makers, they're the ones who have to be 
they're talking face to face. The people who might be at their desks just a few meters away, they were people who needed to be aware of the conversation, maybe needed to be aware of the decisions, but actually weren't really involved in the actual decision making process. And of course, those at home might be at home for various reasons. Is that something you've seen emerging? Well, yes, absolutely. And it's actually not a novel concept or a novel idea. Uh, you have to remember that in 2019 and before, people these alternative work environments and schedules did exist. People did work work remotely before, but unfortunately, we often joked about it in the office. Oh, they're at home sitting, you know, with their feet up, you know, drinking a you know their favorite beverage and eating bonbons. I mean, the bias against people working from home was already there before the pandemic. Then, thankfully, we all experienced working from home, and many of us did, and or from other environments because we couldn't be in the same office together due to health concer concerns. And so we started to realize, oh, this isn't quite so easy. Well, the problem now is we're coming back to the work environment. You got to, as you just described, you got people, some people in the office in a in a conference room. You got some people down the hall. You got some people at home, and the nature of the communication environment is is going to or has in many cases already created a, a class system when it comes to communicating. The people in the room get the priority over the people who are on video or on audio. And so a, a good portion of our recommendations in the book as well as when we talk to folks is you've got to do what you can to avoid a hierarchical communication environment. You have to make sure that the remote people get a chance to talk, maybe even first, you know, start with them. So that way you establish this norm that the people that are remote are just as important as the people that are in person and make sure that you're not artificially creating a, a situation where people that are in the, in the office have a, a, a more powerful position or a more weighty representation in their ideas or their opinions. And does that also depend on the type of meeting that the people are holding? So I guess, you know, is there a meeting hierarchy where there are some meetings which should definitely be face to face and some where hybrid or perhaps fully online is, is, is actually fine? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was actually writing about this the other day in my in, in a new book that's coming out later this year uh, uh, called "Running Effective Meetings for Dummies," and what we what we talked about there is some meetings are complex or they're emotion laden. Either right, so you would hopefully never fire someone. Okay, it's a meeting, right? Fire someone in a text message or an email or on a video call. Okay, you would do that in person. So HR-related decisions are often ones that we would use as an example of this needs to be in person. Others, or it's a complex situation where you've got a lot of different pieces of information that need to be talked about and brought together to bear on a problem, those are harder to manage in a virtual environment, no matter how hard you try. And so we often recommend that these more complex communication situations or decision-making situations try to do those in person. But the key here is this idea of having a rich modality for communicating. And the more rich the modality, the more uh, complex or more emotion-laden conversations can happen without miscommunication or misunderstanding. But if you have a very lean communication strategy or style, for, for example, you try to send a very important decision via email, someone's going to misinterpret what you're saying. 
It happens all the time. People send an email and it sounds it, it comes across as more pointed or more uh, mean or more nice than you intend it to be. And so it's hard to communicate emotions and complex issues in a lean communication modality. So yeah, there are definitely meetings like HR related decisions that need to be in person if we can. And it's interesting you mentioned that because there was a situation which you may not have heard of in, in Utah where just a few weeks ago now in the United Kingdom, uh, a number of people, I think possibly several hundred, were um, fired all in one go on a video yeah. call. And needless to say, it did not go down particularly no. well. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it may even have been a pre-recorded video oh, call. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that was just fired out to people. So I, I can definitely relate to uh, to, to that example yeah. you give there. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to show empathy and understanding uh, you know, particularly in a, on a audio only, but even video, um, even video is is hard to show that, especially if it's not you know not live. You can't read the room, as it were. So yeah, anything where you know there's going to be powerful emotions, good or bad, best to deliver those in person. Promotions, firings, um, new projects new, you know, that everyone's been excited about. You know, things like that. If you can do it in person, and if you can't do it in person absolutely do it in a in a very high fidelity video environment live and that's because those things are harder you know the the whole emotion of it is harder to manage understand constrain control and 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 do the right thing to show the right empathy or the right understanding or the right enthusiasm in a in an audio only situation oh absolutely and in terms of that then you, we've spoken before on the podcast about the impact of remote working in particular on productivity and creativity, uh, you know, primarily in terms of how the drop of, of ongoing human interaction and serendipity can, can sort of lead to, to lower levels of creativity and innovation, even if you're getting a spike in productivity. Is that something that you've observed in your research with meetings? Yeah, so <clears throat> there's interesting thing about that is when we went, when we transitioned to basically fully remote for a period of time when the when the pandemic was just getting going uh, and had been kind of bouncing back and forth between that and and some in-person things one of the things that went away was what you were describing which is these kind of serendipitous conversations like we 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 refer to it uh, I refer to it all the time as bumping into bob right we didn't bump into bob in the hallway we didn't bump into bob at the at the water cooler and so because we don't have those bump into Bob situations, we don't uh, get to have those um, epiphany moments, right, as easily. And if you have those, do you, are, do you have at home, are you writing them down, maybe? Are you able to just immediately get someone on the call and say, hey, let me talk you through this idea? Can you, can you lean into someone's office from your remote location and do that? And the answer is probably no. And there was some recent research out from Microsoft that showed that one of the things that changed during the pandemic was that their networks of communication got more narrow within their within their organization, meaning that you would onboard new people and you'd introduce them to their core team, but they wouldn't bump into other people and get to know them just interacting in the office. And so there'd be less communication across teams, which, you know, in the short term is probably not a big deal. But in the long term, when intersections of, of ideas and, and projects and so forth happen, you won't know who to go to. 
right? And so that that can create you know barriers to creativity, innovation, and even just general basic run-of-the-mill performance on the job. And so uh, we strongly encourage people to ensure that you have those bump into Bob moments, that you're creating those artificially uh, if you're going to continue in a work a remote work environment. Otherwise, you will inadvertently uh, re reduce the amount of uh, collaboration and creativity among your team. Does that then suggest that people need new skills or new processes to make sure that they, as you put it, bump into Bob? Or is, is it actually about leadership and organizational culture facilitating and ensuring that those things happen? Well, I don't think your question is uh, an either or situation. I think too often we assume that developing an organizational culture and leading are things that people can kind of pick up along the way. And the reality is you can't. I mean, you can some. Experience does matter. Absolutely. But if your experience is with leaders that aren't great and you want to be a great leader, you probably need to learn what it means to be a great leader. If your experiences have not been great in organizational development and, and culture and trying to, to drive the culture of your organization, then drawing from your experiences isn't necessarily going to optimize your, your future with your organization or as you develop a new environment or a new culture with your team. So yeah, absolutely, people need to be trained. Um, and that can be done you know, on their own by, you know, uh, reading and studying and then and then trying out new things. One of the things that we, I often recommend is, you know, all these different best practices for meetings about, you know, most of the time people are doing some of these things, but they're not doing them all. And so my advice is just to try one. Well, same thing can apply to all these other areas that you can learn what others have done or what best practices are based on the science. And then the best way to move forward is to try something to, and see what happens. Basically become a, a scientist practitioner yourself and try out the, the best practices and see what changes. And if it changes in the way you want to, keep going. And if it changes in a way you don't want it to, then stop and try something else. So I, I guess it's uh, encouraging people to do their own forms of randomized control trials and, and, and see what comes out the end <laughs> of it. To some degree, yeah. <laughs> no, it, 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 may, yeah. it makes a lot of sense that um, you know they're, they're perhaps... Now, I, I don't want to prejudge things, but there perhaps is no one right way that will always work for everyone. And so just testing and feeling and trying along the way and, and seeing how it works for you in your context is, is probably key. Yeah, I mean, I often get the question, hey, so what's the what's the one thing I need to do to make my meetings like really good? And I hate that question because the answer is there's about 20 things that everybody should be doing. Most people are doing about half of them which means about half the time our, good, our, our meetings are good and about half the time our meetings are crappy. And so there's about 10 things that not everybody's doing. Well, they're not the same 10 things. Some people really do start on time. They, they actually do that, but other people don't. Well, if you knew that starting on time can unlock 5% improvement in your overall effectiveness of your meetings, you're going to do it. But that's only 5%. That's because there's 20 things you got to do. And so the answer really comes down to what are you doing? And does that align with the science and with the data on effective meetings or on effective you know, leadership or on effective you know, organizational culture? And what are you not doing that you could do that the evidence would suggest is going to create change, right? And so it's, it's not the same as a randomized controlled trial without information. It's saying, okay, I know what others have done that's really, really good, and I should try doing some of the things that they're doing in addition to what I'm doing that I think is working. 
Interesting. You've mentioned uh, a few times, you know, best practice, and and obviously just there, you mentioned the sure. ten or twenty different things. Would you maybe give us some idea, not not necessarily of the one thing that everyone should be doing, but but maybe some insights into some of those best practices in terms of meetings as, as you would see them. Yeah. So uh, interesting thing about that is about eighty percent of the things that we knew before the pandemic, in terms of best practices for meetings, are still the same. They haven't changed. You know, starting and ending on time still applies, whether you're in a virtual or a hybrid or a face-to-face -face environment. Um, having an agenda still applies, or and, and not necessarily a full agenda. This is where people get hung up. They're like, oh, so I got to get out of an agenda and say introductions and uh, you know announcements and discussion. No, that's not what I mean. When I say agenda, I also mean just having a purpose. Too often we go to a meeting, we know who's going to be there because on our calendar, but we have no purpose. Like that, we, we walk in the room, we're like, so why are we here? And then somebody who could have said it beforehand says, oh, it's because of this. And then everyone's like, oh, that. And it takes them you know, a few minutes to figure out, okay, what, what, what is that thing? And how am I related to that thing? And what would I be able to share in this meeting about that thing, right? So identifying purpose, um, managing the meeting effectively from a time perspective inside the meeting, making sure everybody has a chance to participate, encouraging participation both from a leader and from a, a, a an attendee perspective, uh, ending on time. How dare we, you know, you know, do such a such a wonderful thing? And then probably the the last thing would be making sure that you capture the action items, that they're assigned to real people, and that you follow up with them. And the reason I bring up bring that up is, I've been to so many meetings where I go, oh, we walk in the door, we say, oh, so what did we decide last time? And then it takes us the first five or ten minutes to figure out what we decided last time, and whether or not anybody did anything that they were they were that we should have done between last time and this time. And so the standing meetings end up being almost a recycle and repeat type experience, and that's just not not effective. So those are probably four or five you know best practices that apply to every single meeting that we have, no matter what the modality is. And would there be any? Do you feel that that would be? more relevant in a, a hybrid or, or perhaps fully online world? I know you mentioned earlier on, you know, starting the meeting by getting the people who are online involved at the very beginning to, to have that sense of equality, but is there anything else? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's there's a few things, yeah. There's a, there's a few things that are different. So for example, the, first and foremost, you know, when we, when we do those bump into Bob moments like we talked about earlier, we usually have some small talk conversations. And the research would suggest that small talk before a meeting begins is actually really, you know, effective at making the be the meetings better. And so, because it, it helps the people who are who don't know each other to interact a little bit, uh, it creates a more uh, comfortable environment, particularly for the introverted folks in the room. So, pre-meeting conversation, just to kind of start the meeting off and say, "Hey, how you doing?" and then wait and let people respond. Now, don't take the whole meeting with that. Give it give it three or four minutes, but let people be human for a minute and talk to each other for a minute. Second thing would be, in a virtual or hybrid environment, you're going to have people communicate, you know, reaching into and communicating in the meeting in different ways, right? You're going to have some people who are on video, some people maybe on audio, and so it's really, really important for a meeting leader to change how they facilitate that. In a face-to-face -face meeting, if you want someone to comment, you look them in the eye, and if they don't say anything, say, hey, what do you think, you know? In a, in a virtual meeting, you look someone in the eye, you're looking at the little dot on the camera, you're actually looking everybody who's got their camera on in the eye. And so you can't really lean in and say, what do you think? Because all five people that you're, you're looking at 
uh, could be doing that. So you have to change it and say, hey, you know, Lori, what do you think? Or hey, Joe, what do you think? Uh, and you have to you have to do that in that process. Um, and so participation and facilitation is a little different. So you have to do so you have to call people my name. And then a third thing is probably to recognize uh, that the, the the differences in communication uh, that happen in those environments, right? Uh, meaning that if someone's on audio, they can't see that the guy across the way, when you just suggested an idea, rolled their eyes and 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 sat back. And so you have to be the eyes and ears of the people on audio, because if if they don't know that your suggestion was out of sarcasm or that the person across the way rolled their eyes, they may assume that you meant that seriously and start thinking about how to do that thing. So you have to you have to be more um, open about what's going on in the meeting for those who can't see what's going on in the meeting. It's interesting, and, and it reminds me of, of uh, an experience I had last year where uh, people were actually, you know, people at different times were, were turning their cameras on and off. Uh, this is a fully fully online meeting. And, and what I noticed within the culture of this team that I was working with as a consultant was that they would provide, they would always provide a narrative or an explanation. And, and, and one woman at one point turned off her camera and then was very apologetic saying, I'm really sorry, but I'm actually breastfeeding. And everyone was like, okay, that's fine. Mm. But it, it yep. wasn't a case of I'm turning my camera off because I want to watch television in the background and couldn't care about you all. Sure. But it was, this is why, and I hope that's okay. Yeah. And of course it was. Um, and everyone was very yeah. respectful and understanding of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I tend to, you know, hammer home the idea of camera on, camera on, camera on. But there are circumstances, like the one you just described, where it's okay to have the camera off. Um, there's also just, you know, communication that you may need to do quickly with someone you know that doesn't need to be a video call. Not every call, not every conversation needs to be a video call. Uh, for example, let's say you've worked with the same person in the same organization for, you know, five years. And you've been in meetings together that whole time. You know what they look like, you know what they sound like, you know what they what they do when they disagree, you know what they what their how they move talk with their hands, you know how they roll their eyes. You 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 when they talk, you can see them even if they're not, you know, actually video or or present, right? You can you know just through their voice, you know what they what they sound like and and all of those sorts of things. With that person, you don't need to schedule a video call for your one-on-one. -on -one. You can do a do, you can do an audio call. But if you're going to interact with someone who you don't know very well, or it's an external stakeholder to your organization, or um, they're a new person on the uh, you know on your team or whatnot, you need to make sure even if you know them, if they're a new person on your team and others don't know them, you probably need to have a video call, or at least or a face-to-face -face call. And the reason that is, is because you don't know what they look like, sound like, and so forth, and they don't know what you look like and sound like. And without that reference, miscommunication is much more likely to happen. And so my advice in general is is use the camera the right way, which is to create a more rich communication environment to avoid miscommunication. But when you're calling mom, you probably don't need to have the video call on, right? Or if you're calling somebody you've known for years, again, you don't need the video on, and it's okay to take a break from video being on. Does that also feed into the whole debate about Zoom fatigue and, and whether it is real or not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's and that's why I bring it up because I believe Zoom fatigue is a is a real thing, but I also think we hated meetings before, 
And what needs to happen, and I'm actually working on research related to this, what needs to happen is a study where we actually compare just general meeting fatigue, like I have too many meetings, with with the 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 you know virtual meeting fatigue phenomena. And the reason I suggest that is because man, we, we really hated meetings before. We would lament. We would go to the water cooler or we'd go to the pub and a friend would tell us, yeah, today was rough. I had a whole day of meetings just back to back to back. And we commiserate with them. Say, oh, I'm so sorry. I get it. Yeah, that was a, that must have been a rough day. You probably didn't get any work done. We would, we would have this whole dialogue. I mean, we can, we can redo it right now together if we wanted to. We just, there's a norm in our culture, world, the world over, that meetings are draining. And because of that, it's hard to disentangle the virtual meeting fatigue from the overall just meeting fatigue. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to say that virtual meeting fatigue is something you know new and different. I think it exists, but I think we have to keep it within the, within the framework of it's a, another layer of drain that can happen when we have ineffective meetings. And that the goal here is rather to, avo- you know, to, rather to avoid those ineffective meetings and make them better you know, rather than turning off the camera. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Joe, if people wanted to find out more about your research, is there any way they can go? Yeah, so you can check out my website. It's www.joeallen.org. And that has you know links to, to my, uh, my curriculum vita with all my, my egghead research. It also has links to the books uh, where a lot of research is, is brought to uh, uh, you know, a more consumable fashion, right? Uh, so you're welcome to go there and, uh, and reach out to me through there. That's a, there's a contact me, talk, contact Joe button. Happy to interact with, uh, with, with folks and uh, provide you know, additional insights uh, and just talk about meetings. Sounds great. Professor Joseph Allen of the University of Utah, thank you very much for your time. Yep, glad to be here. Our theme song, La La Song, Electronic Beat Time, and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution, share, and share alike license.